Luke 24, 1-12, The Resurrection. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in there, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them, dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Men must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to eleven and to all the rest. Now it is Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who told these things to the apostle. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Peter rose and ran from the tomb. Stopping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling what had happened. Acts ten thirty four to 43 So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of priests through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judah, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us, who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach the people to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believed in them receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Good morning. Happy Easter. Uh, so glad you could join us this morning and um, in the celebration of our Lord Jesus Christ raising from the grave, defeating death. Really, a relationship with Jesus Christ is dependent on one single fact and the question to ask is whether Jesus is alive or is he dead? Because if Jesus Christ is alive, then we have to consider that fact and, and live according to that fact. If Jesus Christ is dead, then do whatever you want. And I would highly doubt that you would be listening in to this time with us. Since Jesus Christ is alive, we do need to live accordingly and do what he did and do what he said. If he's dead, never to resurrect, then 
we can just treat what he did and what he said like any other historical figures, words, and deeds. The Apostle Paul wrote this about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If there is no resurrection, why would the early followers of Jesus make up a resurrection story for a person that is dead? Why would they risk their own lives for this made-up story and then be bold enough to proclaim a lie that they made up? Without a resurrection, why do we even have gospel accounts? Why do we even have a New Testament? How could so many people have the same conviction from the same story if it wasn't true? How could fearful, uneducated, everyday people revolutionize the entire world the way that they did if it was not true? See, these people didn't discover something on their own. This preaching of forgiveness, hope, and meaning are dependent on Jesus Christ. Discovering who Jesus Christ is and what he had done. And they tore down these walls of division that were based on race, class, socioeconomic status. Tearing down these walls of discrimination based off of who people are or where they were born or what family they were born into and looking at Jesus Christ and who he is and what he did for us and for us to know him. This was the starting point of Peter's message in Acts chapter 10 verse 34. It reads, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. The gospel is not exclusive to a particular people. It's for everyone. It's meant to go throughout the world. When Peter gave this message, it was actually hosted by a Gentile named Cornelius, who was a soldier of Rome. And not too long before this moment, Peter saw the message of the gospel exclusively for Jews, but his tune changed. Look at verses 35 through 36. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. Cornelius was a Gentile, and he didn't have to become a Jew to believe in Jesus Christ. Believe what about Jesus Christ? Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. These established religious leaders were threatened, and they, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And this is what Peter and John said in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So in other words, we, we can't help it. We have to. This is who we are and, and who we are is completely because of Jesus, who we've transformed to become. It's what the resurrection does to people. It moves them from this death to life, from darkness to light. It's not a myth, mythology, it is a history. And the people listening to Peter were his contemporaries. These weren't people that were just making up these stories years later, decades later, centuries later. These were people who were witnesses, and they witnessed what happened to Jesus and Jesus' disciples firsthand. They knew better. Take a look at Acts chapter 10, verse 37. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. They knew what happened. They knew it. They were witnesses to it themselves. And they couldn't accuse the disciples, his followers, of making any of this stuff up. What happened? What did they witness themselves? Well, Jesus' life. They were there the whole time. They witnessed Jesus' death. They were still alive to witness that. Jesus' resurrection they were there. Let's first take a look at Jesus' life. Let's look at verse 38 in Acts. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So it's just really these few sentences to summarize Jesus' life. And the same author who wrote Acts, Luke, wrote the Gospel of Luke, which gives us much more detail. And you notice that Luke mentioned Galilee back in verse 37. And then in verse 38, he mentions Nazareth. Why does he do this? Because people knew Jesus really, really well in both of those places. People in Galilee knew Jesus really well from his ministry and his miracles that he did there. People knew Jesus since he was a child in Nazareth. So Luke is pointing to, just go check out where he's from. Just go check out where he was doing these things. So you look at Nazareth, and you can meet people there that saw Jesus grow up that saw Jesus work with his dad, Joseph, as a carpenter. And the people of Nazareth witnessed who Jesus was since he was a little boy to an adolescent and then an adult. Imagine all the people in that town who knew who Jesus was. And there are a bunch of them in the Nazareth synagogue when Jesus read from that scroll in Isaiah. Now put yourself in, in those sandals of those who saw Jesus as a boy, then as a teenager, then as a young man working as a carpenter, and then Jesus shows up in the town synagogue on Sabbath, and he reads this from Isaiah. 
Let's look at Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 22 at what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set all liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant at set and sat down, which is telling us that he's taking the place as a teacher. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now keep in mind, these are people who have known Jesus his entire life. And no one is prepared to hear these next words coming out of Jesus' mouth. Verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That the prophet Isaiah wrote all of that about me. Verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Because they, they knew that. Yes, that is Joseph's son. We've seen that guy grow up from since he was a little boy all the way to this guy who's in our synagogue today telling us that he's the Messiah. He's the one that the prophet Isaiah wrote about. They knew Jesus as the son of Joseph and they knew him well enough to actually speak well of him. They knew him. And this is what they thought of him. They, they, they spoke well of him. But this was still a shock to them because this is Joseph the carpenter's son. I mean, we, we know this guy and we know his family. How can it be that he is who he claims to be? Jesus established in a very confirmable fashion the words out of his own mouth that the kingdom of God has come and he, as king, has entered into his creation. And what Luke is doing is, if, is telling us, telling those contemporaries at the time, if you need to verify anything about Jesus, I'm telling you where he's from. Go check it out. He's from Nazareth. And so Luke is telling them where to go to verify who Jesus is. People who have known him since he was a boy. People who knew his family came from Egypt and they did leave Bethlehem when he was born. They can verify all of those stories. Anyone can go verify who Jesus was, where he came from, who his parents were, where he was born, what, what he did there. And a bunch of people knew Jesus from his time in Galilee. Luke points out Galilee to verify to people Jesus' works there, his, his miracles there. And if you don't believe what he did, you don't believe the miracle, miracles that people are talking about, then go find out their testimonies. Go there and confirm it for yourself. And Luke is telling them, I'm telling you where to go. You can go to Nazareth, you can go to Galilee to figure these things out yourself. It's a miracle in itself that the, the king of glory would step down from heaven to earth, stepping into time. And so would it be all that surprising that there would be miracles done by Jesus all over Galilee? And if people can't believe what Luke wrote, just go to Galilee for yourself. 
anyone who questions the life of Jesus, go talk to the Nazarenes. Go talk to the Galileans. And then Luke goes on to write about Jesus' death, verse 39, back in Acts. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. This is so much more than Jesus just being killed. That phrase, hanging him on a tree, is, is a very, very loaded statement. This is a phrase that tells us so much. Anyone familiar with the Old Testament knew what this was speaking of. It directed their minds back to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, where it reads, His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God. And there was Jesus hanging on the tree, perfect, sinless person nailed to a tree. So does this mean the curse of God, that the judgment of God was nailed on Jesus Christ? Exactly. Yes. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Tree. It's tying back to the Old Testament so that those familiar with the Old Testament would marvel at the gracious work of God. How could the curse of God be put on the Son of God? The Son of God was sent to take the place of sinners who would have been cursed and judged by God. Judgment must take place on sin. Sin is cursed. Sinners are cursed. The penalty for sin is death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is just. Sin doesn't just disappear. It has to be reconciled. It has to be dealt with. And this is what Jesus did. He dealt with it. Now some may ask, what is at the core of our sin? Like, why, why do Christians talk about sin so much? At the heart of sin is this thought. It's that we humans want to be God. That, that's at the core of it all. We replace ourselves in the place of God. That we, in our own pride, want things done our way. That we want to do what we want to do. That we want to determine for ourselves what is good and what is evil. And we want to create our own destiny. We want to invent our own spirituality and decide which rules to make, which rules to break, and what we want to change about them. And we want to choose whatever path we want to go. And some of us are so caught up in our pride that we don't even realize that there is a judgment for sin. There is a judgment because there is justice, which we all believe in. Now at the end of our lives, which we will all experience... 
we will all face God. And there will be a judgment. The only way to be pardoned from that judgment is to accept what was done for us through Jesus Christ's death. That Jesus Christ took my place, as Peter wrote, that he took my curse. He took my guilty judgment upon himself. He took my sin upon himself. At the heart of salvation is that God substitutes himself for us. That Jesus Christ takes our place of judgment. While hanging on the cross between two criminals, Luke recorded for us what happened there in Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 42. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Why would a sinless person die a sinner's death? Because Jesus didn't die for his own sins. He was sinless. He, he died for everyone else's sins, for our sins. He, he paid a debt that he didn't even owe. He paid our debt that we couldn't pay without eternal damnation. Your payment would be your life for eternity. So Luke wrote about the life of Jesus. He wrote about the death of Jesus and then the resurrection of Jesus. Verses 40 and 41 back in Acts. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. These were witnesses to the resurrection. And what we need to look at is how they were before they witnessed this. Because before this, they were really, really fearful. This wasn't a confident group of people who were ready to just take the message of the gospel boldly to the entire world. These were, these were a very frightened group of people who just lost their leader, and then they were wondering if they were going to be the next ones killed. And at first, these guys kind of questioned if there was even going to be a resurrection. And you have to ask yourself, do confident, brave people look like this? Take a look at John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And so you can imagine them in this room, the, the doors were locked, and they were in fear after they heard of the resurrection of Jesus from Mary Magdalene. So even after they heard of this, they were still very afraid. After some of them had even already seen the tomb empty with the linen cloths lying there, they were still afraid. Continuing on with John in uh, verse 19, the latter part, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Why does he say this? 
because they weren't at peace. They were very afraid. They weren't at peace before this. Then Jesus showed them his hands, his side, and the disciples were, were glad to see the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then Jesus breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit. They witnessed all of that and more, which brings us to what they were to do. Look at Acts verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What do we need to do? Believe in Jesus. And we talked about that last week in the Palm Sunday message. That it's more than just knowledge. And it's more than just knowing that there was a historical person named Jesus who did amazing things. It's, it's not simply intellectual and believing it like some history lesson or, or some fact that we can just recite. Believing in Jesus meaning that your hope is found in him. Your life is discovered in him, where you know why you exist and what happens after you die, because we all know that we all die. The judgment of God is completely just, it is completely fair, it's final, and we will all face God. The message of the gospel is that Jesus will step in to be our advocate. In that time of judgment, but it's only if you believe that Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins and that he has taken your place as a curse. And he's taken that judgment upon himself in your place. Our separation from God is restored in Jesus. If you've ever wondered what the meaning of life is, why there is so much darkness, why there is so much brokenness, Jesus can open your eyes to all of it. To see that our separation from God is, is more broken and it's darker than we could have ever imagined it to be. To see how meaningless our life is without Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37, it reads, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? The separation we have from God has us trying to fill it with whatever we can think of. Anything. Everything. Even if it's just a temporary thing. Even if it's a damaging thing. We're just trying to fill it with whatever it is when it's only Jesus Christ who can fill that void of being separated from God. It is only Jesus Christ. And you can try to fill it with everything else, but it will never work. Jesus came to invite us into his kingdom to be reconciled with God. The call from Jesus isn't for us to be obedient so that then we can be accepted. It is that Jesus Christ accepts you. Therefore, we are obedient. 
we get that so backwards sometimes. Religion reverses that order so often that, that Jesus came to invite us into his kingdom and then we follow. We don't get ready for entry into the kingdom just to wonder if we've done enough to receive an invitation. The great news of Easter is that you're invited. You're already accepted. You don't have to put your Sunday best on. Matter of fact, probably most of you aren't. You're probably still in your PJs and with a bedhead and stinky morning breath. But you just come as you are. You're already invited. The, the message is for you right where you are sitting. You think about Peter, who heard this message after Jesus' death, and he really needed to hear this message because he felt like such a loser. Because prior to this, Peter was so confident. He was so sure of what he thought he was going to do if people came and, and threatened Jesus. And he thought he was so tough and that he would do anything for Jesus until he didn't. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. But then just a few hours later, if you read in the Gospels, he just gets freaked out by a junior high girl who recognizes him to be a disciple of Jesus. Mr. Tough Guy. And then he denies Jesus three times and the rooster crows, which Jesus told him he was going to do. And it's this very same Peter who denied Christ, who heard Mary Magdalene tell him that the tomb was empty, and he goes and he sees it for himself. And he sees that the tomb is empty. But then he locks himself up with the others because he's fearful. He's afraid. This might be you today. Where you've followed Jesus for a while. There are times that you've denied him. Even though you know the Bible relatively well and and you look at your life and you wonder, and you might even be fearful about what is going to happen next, especially given what's happening in our world right now. You might be wondering why you're in the place you are now and not doing something more for the Lord. Just locked away. Fearful. Maybe experiencing some disappointment with your life because... You've walked with God for so long that you even know that the tomb is empty. You, you've experienced it for yourself and yet you find yourself where you're at. You need this Sunday and you need to be reminded that He is risen. He did it for you. You see the person that Peter becomes in the book of Acts from back in a gospel. It, it's quite a different person. He has moved from that fearful person locked in a room to this bold, purposeful person who is proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Break out from that fear. We're all in this shelter-in-place time, but you don't have to live in fear. I'm so encouraged by people who are doing something and create, being creative and, and figuring out how to break from this locked room. And so I've been hearing these stories of people from the church who have, who have sacrificed, who have given of themselves to help others. I've heard so many stories of younger people showing 
people who don't know how to use Zoom or other types of social media to be connected. And it's time to share this bondage-breaking message of Christ. It's not a myth. This is the truth about Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection that we base our entire life on. We don't have to live in fear. We can break out of our locked rooms. We can, we can do things to continue the message of Jesus Christ risen. Let's pray. Lord, you have risen. And we celebrate that this morning. The entire planet celebrates that this morning. The entire universe recognizes you are Lord. I pray, God, for those chains of fear to be broken in people. That our hope is in you. To recognize, Lord, that you are in control. That these temporary things that we place so much stock in, they come and go. But you, Lord, are eternal. And I pray, Lord, that we would completely surrender our lives to you, that we would show complete loyalty to you, that we would walk in obedience to you, not because that earns us access to you, but, Lord, you've already given us the invitation. And may we occupy that fact, that truth, to go forward as children of yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I uh, mentioned that we would start doing communion together, and I'm looking forward to doing this uh, virtually with all of you starting this Sunday. This will be our first Sunday. And so before uh, partaking in communion together, please feel free to go ahead and grab your bread and, and your juice, and um, we'll partake of that together, and as you're doing that, let me read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for us. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and we, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Lord, we are so thankful that you give us this sacrament to point us to remembrance, to point us to those issues that 
separate us from you. And this constant reminder that draws us back to remember who you are and what you did. On that tree, taking on our curse, taking on our judgment. And so, Lord, as we do examine ourselves before we partake of this time, I ask, Lord, for the forgiveness of how we've been missing the mark. And thank you so much, Lord, for your sacrifice, your broken body, your spilled blood to take our place. So if you have your bread, let's take this together. And your juice. Let's take this together. Lord Jesus, we're so filled with awe and wonder at how an almighty God would humble himself to step from your throne onto earth because of your immense love for us. May you be praised. You are risen. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I want to remind any of you who are wanting, needing prayer, um, you can send those prayer requests to prayer at regenerationweb.com. We'd be honored to pray for you. Our elders uh, will receive that. Our staff will receive that. And uh, if it is to be a confidential prayer, it stays within that group. If not, we do share the prayer requests with our prayer team. And so um, please be assured that we would be praying for your prayer requests.